You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We're thankful to have uh, friends and family of the Turners here to uh, celebrate Caroline's baptism today. So we're really excited about that opportunity to uh, picture the gospel at the end of our uh, sermon today. And um, we fall in a great place in Ephesians because it really ties in with what we're going to be celebrating in Caroline's life as we uh, all kind of reflect back on what God has done in our life if we're a believer. Um, So if you haven't been with us, we have been in Ephesians chapter 5 for the last couple of weeks, and uh, chapter 5 starts with this um, command towards us as believers to imitate God, uh, to do so as beloved children, and to do so in certain ways. Um, The beginning of chapter 5 talks about how we're to walk in love, we're to imitate our Father in the ways that we love each other. Um, But we're also told to imitate him in the ways that we remain pure, in the ways that we separate ourselves from sin and we separate ourselves from associations with those who are in rebellion against God. And so I want to read for us uh, our text today in the context of where we've been over the last couple of weeks, and then we're going to dial specifically in on verses 7 and 8 today. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, "...therefore be imitators of God as beloved children." And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God." Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And then our text for today, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So the idea being here is that as we carry out this desire to imitate God, we do so in ways that are loving towards each other, but also in ways that separate us at times from each other. Uh, when there's a desire to be in rebellion against God and to do the things that um, are commanded against in Scripture, then we're to separate. It talks about uh, they're not even being named among us, some of these activities and behaviors. And we talked last week about in order for these things to not be named amongst us, we really have to separate and not associate where these type of things are happening. And so that leads to some tension about how we even Uh, play out some of our relationships with each other, particularly with unbelievers who are engaged in some of this activity. And so we're going to unpack a little bit of that today, uh, because as our text tells us, we're not to be partners with them. And so we're going to talk specifically about what that means today. But from a summary sentence standpoint for verses 7 and 8, as a Christian, the intimacy I enjoy in my relationship with others should be determined by my desire to walk in light and separate from darkness. As a Christian, the intimacy I enjoy in my relationships with others should be determined by my desire to walk in light and separate from darkness. For our kids, as Christians, best, a Christian's best friends should be other Christians who are seeking to follow Jesus. A Christian's best friends should be other Christians who are seeking to follow Jesus. Paul very specifically tells us not to be partners with those who are okay or engaging in the type of activity that's listed prior to verse 6 and 7. We're to, we're, to, we're to be separate and distant and different from this type of behavior. We're not to be partners 
with them. And so we're going to talk today about how the, the intimacy that we enjoy with each other, the relationships that we have with each other, should be shaped directly by our desire to walk in light and to separate from darkness. Because verse 8 tells us at one time we were darkness, but now we are considered light in the Lord. And so there's this analogy, once again, we see it in other passages in Scripture, this analogy between light and darkness. Um, if we think more in terms of what does that light mean and what does that darkness mean, it's really tied to uh, the dark state would be our, um, our unbelief or our lack of knowledge or lack of acceptance of the gospel, the truths about who Jesus is. But then darkness also is tied to the actions that flow from that lack of belief. So when we talk in terms of us being in darkness prior to coming to Christ, we're talking about our intellect, we're talking about our mindset, our belief system, but we're also talking about our moral choices and decisions, the actions that we take in response to those beliefs. Therefore, when we talk about light, we're talking about us coming to a knowledge and an awareness and an understanding of the gospel, an awareness of our sin, an awareness of our need for a Savior. But then we're also talking about these fruits of light, uh, these actions of light. These are things that flow out of that new belief system that we're given. That new understanding and awareness of the gospel leads to a changed life. So light has to do with truth and holiness. Darkness has to do with lies and evil. And we're all born in a state where we need light because of our darkness. We need God to shine into us the light to fix both. Think about what Isaiah 5.20 says. We've, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's a passage that talks about woe is the individual who calls good evil and evil good, Right? Woe is the individual who has a distortion in their understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Certainly, uh, today's culture is reflective of that, but really any culture is reflective of that throughout history. Those who are not submitted to Jesus think good things are, are, are bad and bad things are good, right? We call sin uh, good and we call uh, righteousness evil. And we need Christ to fix that for us. We need Christ to shine into our, into our hearts and fix this. Second Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What we'll celebrate today with Caroline is her admittance and confession that Christ has shined into her heart, that where there was previous darkness and sin and rebellion and death, that's been radically changed by the Holy Spirit who has brought the gospel to her and illuminated her heart and her mind and her understanding to bring her to a state of salvation. We talk all the time in our church that, that we believe that, um, that the gospel is just as impactful for a young kid as, as it is for an adult. And, and, and we believe the things that the Bible says about believers, Christians, regardless of their age, right? So what we celebrate today through baptism is something that's already happened in Caroline's life, and that's her crossing from death to life, from her crossing from darkness into light, right? Previously, she was in this prior state described by Paul, and now she no longer is. She's been brought forth from that. She's been saved from that to this new light, to this new state of life that's described here in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look specifically at two points from the text today that I want you to be able to see and understand and remember 
specifically from verses 7 and 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And we're going to look at this in reverse order. So we're going to start with verse 8, and then we'll finish with verse 7. So let's start with point number one. Remember your past to fully appreciate your present. Remember your past to fully appreciate your present. Let's, let's, let's see what's uh, being said here in verse 8, because there's much that's being said in one short little half sentence, really, because 7 and 8 function as one sentence for us in the English language. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's several things that are happening there that I think are so theologically rich and deep and help us to understand really what's happening when we talk about the gospel, right? The first being that, number one, for a period of time, you were evil. Now, I know that's really hard for us to believe about Caroline because Caroline is a gem, right? Like, she is, she is one of the sweetest uh, young ladies that I've ever been around, and she's, she's been that way since the day I met her, right? Um, now, Rob and Robin have probably seen the evil side of Caroline at times. Um, I'm sure that the, the evil has been far outweighed by the good. Uh, but even in that state before Christ, right, the good wasn't sufficient enough to outweigh the evil. Maybe it was in our minds, right? Maybe we talked well of Caroline and we praised Caroline for the type of person that she was. Uh, she was becoming a product of the environment that she was being raised in. Um, but what the scriptures say about Caroline and about all of us is that prior to Christ, we are considered evil. Um, I put in my notes, pre-salvation, I was defined as darkness. Now, it's important to see what's really being said here and how we're being described, right? For at one time, you were darkness. Notice that it doesn't say that you were uh, in darkness or that you were captured by darkness or that you were blinded with darkness. Those are all things that are true. They're absolutely true, and, and there's other passages that would, would teach those things, but this specifically tells us something even worse than us being in darkness, captured by darkness, or blinded with darkness. It says that we were darkness. We were darkness. That's, that's, a, that's a tough description to swallow, and it's one that we typically try to gloss over and forget, which I think minimizes at times for us what Christ really accomplishes in salvation because most of us don't typically think of ourselves pre-Christ as being that bad. Therefore, we don't always think about ourselves being made into something that good, because for a lot of us, we wrestle with that spiritual pride of thinking, hey, we weren't that bad before, right? And so the improvement wasn't that great. Um, maybe, you've been to, maybe you've been to somebody's house before, and they, and they talk about renovations that have happened in, happened in the home, and, and you're just kind of like, I, I can't tell that big of a difference. Maybe the, maybe the house was great before, and the renovations haven't really altered it that much, or maybe, maybe the house wasn't that great before, and the renovations didn't do much to change that. Or, or maybe somebody uh, draws attention to somebody's haircut, and you're like, I, I didn't even notice that there was a change there, right? We, sometimes we struggle with this tension of thinking, hey, I wasn't that bad before Christ, and therefore I'm not, as, I'm not all that much better since coming to Christ. When we see the passage like this, though, I mean, it reminds us of the depth of our sin. It also reminds us that our darkness, who we were, is tied directly to our behavior that we're accountable for. I put in my notes, my dark state was a doing of my own that I was accountable for. Now we'll talk in a minute about this tagline that goes with what it means to be in the light, but notice the difference here. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light 
but it doesn't end there, right? It says, now you are light in the Lord. It quantifies how we even come to the light, that it's reliant upon Jesus as Lord making us light. Notice that it doesn't say that we are darkness because of Satan, right? It doesn't attribute our sinful state to a, another type of spiritual being. So we don't blame our sin on Satan. Notice it doesn't say that you were in darkness because of Adam or because of Eve, right? It says you were just simply darkness and then you were changed into light in the Lord. So I think it says a lot to us about the gospel here is that our sinful state is our own doing, right? We have rebelled against God and we don't get to pass that off or blame that on somebody else. Are we born into sin because of, because of Adam and Eve's sin? Absolutely. And yet scripture is very clear and teaches very clearly that we are held accountable for who we are. We're held accountable for our sin. We are absolutely sinful because of their sin, allowing sin to enter into the world, but we don't get to pass blame. Are we described as being sons of the devil in our sinful state? Yes, absolutely. We follow the course of his world. We follow after the prince of the power of the air. And yet in this passage right here, we are not allowed to attribute our darkness to anybody but ourselves. We were previously darkness. Again, more than just being in darkness or blinded by darkness or captured by darkness. We were darkness ourselves. What that tells us, though, is that we don't just need an environment change. I don't just simply need to be removed from the darkness. I need to have my darkness undone. As I was kind of thinking about this this morning, I was... uh, Reminded of the movie Shrek. I don't know how many, how many of you have seen that movie. It's kind of, it's, it's older now. Uh, but in that movie, Shrek goes to rescue Princess Fiona, right? She's, she's held up in a castle. She's captured by a dragon. He goes in and, and he, in an unorthodox way gets her out of there, right? But as you start to see who her character is, you're thinking, she hasn't really been rescued, right? Like she's no longer in that castle, no longer under the, under the subjection to the dragon, but she's not a very good person, right? She's very caught up in outward appearances, uh, very caught up in superficial things, and it's not until later in the story that her character develops and changes over time, and you start to see that she's really being released from the things that have really held her into bondage. We're not just an individual held up in a castle by a dragon needing to be released, and all of a sudden, by our release, we're all, all of a sudden this good person, right? We're not a good person in the castle, We're not a damsel in distress that needs to be released. We are an evil individual who's held up in a castle by a dragon, right? There's a whole lot of deliverance that needs to take place, and the gospel delivers us from all of it, right? Doesn't just release us from darkness. Doesn't just unblind us from darkness. It takes our darkness and changes it drastically with the light of the Lord. For a period of time, you were evil. And then number two, at a moment in time you were changed. At a moment in time, you were changed. At a specific time in your life, at a specific time in my life, if you're a believer, at a specific time in your life, you crossed from death to life, from darkness to light. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The idea being there that there was a time in our life when we were in the domain of darkness, and there was a time in our life where we stopped being in that domain, and we were transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I put in my notes here, no, we didn't grow out of darkness. We aren't in a state of becoming light. We aren't almost light or not quite as dark as we were before, right? We don't, we don't grow into salvation. There's a point in time where we are transferred from one kingdom to the next. Now, it becomes tough sometimes for those of us that were raised in a Christian environment and our salvation story seems to span years versus moments, Right, And so for some of you, if I were to ask you, hey, tell me about that point in time in history when you went from darkness to light, you may have to pause for a minute and say, I'm, I'm not really sure when that happened. Right? I grew up in a Christian home. I was, I was around the gospel constantly in my life. I heard the gospel so many times. There were even times where I multiply, or multiple days I was praying and asking God to forgive me my sins. And, and so I don't know which one of those was the official time when, when I got transferred from darkness to light. Here's the thing. You may not know the moment in time that you pass from darkness to light. But I can tell you, there was a moment in time, if you are a believer, when you pass from darkness to light. We don't progress into salvation, right? There's a day in time when the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. There's a day and point in time in history where even down to the seconds, this second you weren't a believer, this second you were, right? This second the Holy Spirit didn't indwell you, this second he did, Right? This second you were dead in your sins, accountable for your sins, and then this second you were justified. You were declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. Right? This time, this point in history occurred for those of us that are believers. There came a time when we stopped being grouped with the them of this passage. So go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Look what he says. Do not become partners with them. There's an us and a them here in this passage. Who's the them? Well, if we back up to where we've been the last couple of weeks, look what it says. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So the them are people who have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Who is them? The them are those who were considered sons and daughters of disobedience. And there came a time in history, if you're a believer, where you stopped being part of them. And you were no longer grouped with them anymore. And you did become an inheritor of the kingdom of God. You passed from being a son of disobedience, deserving God's wrath, and your wrath was absorbed by the, by, by the son, Jesus Christ. I used to be with them, but now I'm not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Same thing that he's saying in Ephesians 5, right? Verse 11. And such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Man, praise be to God that we used to be part of them and we are no longer if we're a believer today. We were evil, we were dark, we were deserving of God's wrath. We had nothing good to offer him, right? 
Some of us aren't half as good as Caroline was before coming to Christ, right? Like we were really hopeless from being forgiven on our own good works. But even the best of the best of the best of us prior to coming to Christ, our goodness isn't good enough, right? It doesn't, it doesn't allow us to transfer ourselves from darkness to light. It's only by the work of Jesus, only by the work of Jesus that we can be transferred from one kingdom to the next. Remember your past. Remember you were evil, not just caught up in evil things, but you yourself were considered darkness. And at a moment in time, you were changed. At a moment in time, you were changed, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Our second point, choose your partnerships Choose your partnerships with your identity in mind. Choose your partnerships with your identity in mind. Paul is encouraging us, commanding us, don't become partners for with, with them. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't get caught up in the actions and activities of those who are not partakers of the light. Don't be partners with them. Why? Because at one time you were in that darkness, but now you're not. Now you're in the light, in the Lord. Choose our partnerships with our identity in mind. Number one, my identity is shaped by what he has done. My identity is first shaped by what he has done. All right, I told you previously in my notes, my dark state was a doing of my own that I was accountable for. My light state is a doing all by him that I am justified by. Right? The Bible teaches that we are accountable to God because of what we've done, because of who we are. Right? It also teaches us that we can be forgiven, we can be set free, we can be made right with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done. I am light because he is light. I'm completely reliant on what he's done for me. So it says, previously you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We've talked before here about how John 8, 12 and Matthew 5, 14 talk about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and tells his disciples, his followers, you are the light of the world, right? We aren't the light of the world without him being the light of the world first. He is the light of the world. We're saved into a relationship with him. And then we become the light of the world as an extension of who he is to the world. We love like him. We imitate him. We separate ourselves from impurity, right? We offer forgiveness and love and grace to those around us. My identity is shaped by what he has done for me. He's done everything necessary for salvation. He brings me into the light. He rescues me from this darkness. He changes me by shining into my heart. My identity is shaped by what he has done. And then number two, my identity shapes what I now do. My identity is first shaped by what he has done, and then that identity that he gives to me, right? That identity that he gives to me, previously in darkness, now I've been made light because of his light. That identity, who I am in Christ, now shapes what I do. Having once been a part of the darkness, but now being brought to light, I cannot rejoin the darkness. If I'm a true believer, I can't go back. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
I'm the light of the world, and if you're a follower of me, you won't walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Not even a hint, right? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And what, what are these passages teaching? Well, they're teaching us that we can know whether we have been transferred from darkness to light based on how we now live our life. Do we live like Jesus? Do we imitate God? Do we walk in the light? Or are we still walking in darkness? It would make no sense for us to be walking in darkness and claiming that we are in the light. John says there, 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 there's no consistency there. You can't say that you're in the light and then walk in darkness because that's not consistent with the type of light that God is. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. Not only am I not to return to the darkness, I'm to live in such a way that others are drawn to the light. I don't just not go back to the darkness, but I live in such a way where I'm trying to draw people out of the darkness to the light with me. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This is right before this. He says, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Acts chapter 26. This is um, Paul recounting the message given to him about um, who he was to be as a minister for Christ. It says in verse 16 of Acts 26, Jesus telling him, Rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And why is he sending Paul to the Gentiles? To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Once we come out of the darkness, we don't distance ourselves so much from the darkness that we have no ministry to the darkness. Instead, our goal now, our desire now, is to bring others from the darkness to the light to join us. But we're to be careful because our partnerships cannot be with darkness. I put in my notes, my most meaningful relationships should be consistent with my new identity. This goes back to our summary sentence. The intimacy that I enjoy in my relationships should be defined by my desire to walk in light and separate from darkness. My most meaningful relationships are to be consistent with my new identity in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is where we get the passage that teaches us about uh, marriage and the types of marriages we can pursue uh, that we're to pursue marriage with those who are believers, right? It says in verse 14 of chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them 
and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What's his message there? We're not to be unequally yoked. We're not to join ourselves intimately with unbelievers. The picture there being is that when two animals are yoked together, the the, the tendency is they're going to go the same direction, right? And we know from our own, own experience, it's far more easy, for whatever reason, it's far more easy for us to go the wrong direction if we're yoked with the unbeliever versus the, the unbeliever coming our direction, right? We're to, we're to guard ourselves, we're to protect ourselves, we're to separate ourselves so that we're not intimately joining ourselves with an unbeliever. We can't immerse ourselves in the darkness that we've left behind. Don't align yourself or identify intimately with unbelievers. Here's the message that we're getting from Ephesians 5. If we do so, if we join with them now, if we join with the them now, we should fully expect to be joined with them later. We should fully expect to be grouped with them later when they're not inheriting the kingdom of God and when they're receiving God's wrath. If we don't want to identify with them later, we don't identify with them now. I put in my notes as well. One measuring stick for Christian maturity is the level of intention we give to the type of influences we allow into our lives. Let me say that again. One measuring stick, it's not the only measuring stick for Christian maturity, but one measuring stick for Christian maturity is what level of intention do you give to the type of influences that you allow into your life? That's a great message for our students that are listening right now. What type of influence do you permit to be in your life? How are you letting yourself be shaped by others around you? The primary people that we do life with, the primary people that we share life with should be maturing believers, particularly, I think, in a local church context where we can really live out our faith together. This should be be where our primary fellowship is occurring with maturing believers. And the way that we imitate him in those relationships is to love each other. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And the way that we are prone to love those around us is another indicator to us whether we have passed from darkness to light. Now, A lot of this ties in with what we were talking about last week, right? So it builds off of where we were last week, this idea of being separated from darkness, separated from sin. Uh, Last week, I had probably four or five of you reach out with specific questions about how does this, how do I practically carry some of this out? How do I practically uh, respond to what I'm hearing, particularly in how do I I balance my relationships with unbelievers, right? And so I want to kind of go back to that and kind of wrap up what we're talking about today with how do we practically respond to some of the things that we're hearing. And so some of the questions that I was being asked last week uh, focused on the idea of, are we to avoid unbelievers altogether? Because if you're not careful, you'll hear what I'm saying and, and read what I'm reading and think, okay, I'm supposed to be so distant, not even a hint of sin being in my life. Well, I need to, I need to vacate all relationships with unbelievers. Right? Is that what we're saying? Question number two, how do we avoid becoming or how do we avoid coming off as self-righteous 
in our avoidance of behavior? How do we, how do we guard against someone thinking that we're simply self-righteous by trying to avoid some of this behavior? I want to give you some thoughts on how to balance this teaching with our non-Christian friendships. Thoughts on balancing this teaching with our non-Christian friendships. First, I want to reference you back to two sermons that we did not, not that long ago where we unpacked this more. So I certainly can't say everything that I would want to say about those questions right now, but I've said a lot of it in these other two sermons. So feel free to go back and listen to uh, our sermon on John 17, 6 through 19, which was preached on February 16th of 2020. And then we did salt and light from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, back on October 4th, 2020. But in those two sermons, we were unpacking the idea of balance, okay? Balance that we have to live in such a way where we, in, we remain engaged with the lost world without being influenced by it. Now, as I looked back on these notes, as I was kind of talking through some of these questions with some of our church members, um, there was a point that I made in that high, police, high priestly prayer sermon where we talked about the difference between isolation, inoculation, and insulation. Okay, and let me, let me kind of remind you of the points we were making there. One, we can be guilty of isolation. This would be the extreme mindset where we withdraw from the world and its temptations to avoid falling away. Like we're really, we're really big on God's truth, but by doing that, we, we fail to live out God's mission because we distance ourselves so much from the world that we can't impact it. We can't witness to it. Right? So we withdraw in isolation. We don't want to have unbelieving friends or any unbelieving influences. Uh, so we remove ourselves so much that we lose our ability to impact it. We isolate ourselves. We also don't want to be so guilty of trying to make an impact that we inoculate ourselves with the world. This would be the extreme mindset of assimilating ourselves into the world without any fear of temptation to fall away. Meaning that we're so mission-minded that I need to be around unbelievers. I need to be with unbelievers, involved in the things that unbelievers are doing because I want to make an impact. I want to witness to them. I want to have a great relationship with them so that they're open and receptive to hearing from me. We inoculate ourselves so much that we become like Lot. When we try to make a point about the gospel, they laugh at us and think we're joking. You're you're so much like us. Why would I be prone to think that I need to be any different? Like you hang out with us. You do the things that we do. If we're not careful, we inoculate ourselves and we become so much like the world that we can't impact it either. Where we want to be is this idea of insulation. It's the balanced mindset of living unapologetically holy and missional in the world. We're holy and we're missional in how we interact with lost people. We're all about God's truth and we're all about his mission. Now, how do, how do we know if we're maintaining that balance or not? How do we know if we're being too withdrawn from the world? Or how do we know if we're being too immersed in the world? I want to give you two questions to kind of consider for yourself in regards to your unchristian, non-Christian, non-believing friends. Number one, do your non-Christian friends act differently for you? Do your non-Christian friends act differently for you? If you go back and listen to these sermons, the one on... uh, salt and light, you'll remember that we talked about as salt and light, those things make environments better, right? Um, 
The idea of being salt and light is that we're to bring charity or love to our environments, and we're also to bring clarity to our environments. We're to bring light to the darkness, okay? So in the context of how we're interacting with unbelievers, we should be living and, and uh, engaging with unbelievers in such a way where we're making those environments better. We talked about salt being a preservative, that we can be in an evil environment, a dark environment, and we protect that environment from growing darker and more evil because of our presence there, that we're bringing salt to that situation. The ESV Study Bible says, it's assumed that we will be vitally involved in our communities and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way to commend them to the gospel. That's the ESV Study Bible's notes on that passage in Matthew 5 where it says, you should do your good works in such a way where people are drawn to Christ. Let them see your good works. The implication there is that you should be around unbelievers enough for them to see your good works and be drawn to Christ. So we would, we would speak against the idea that we should be so withdrawn from the lost world that they can't even see our good works that we're carrying out in obedience to be drawn to Christ, right? Um, but as we find ourselves in these environments, unbelievers should be prompted to live differently, even if they're not turning to Christ. And I've told you before, I used to feel bad when I would be around my unbelieving friends and for them to maybe slip up and say something or joke about something and then say, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that you're a Christian or you're a pastor. Like I used to feel guilty about that, thinking like, no, you be how you always are, even if I'm here, right? Because there's part of us that thinks like, I want you to be so comfortable around me that you don't feel a need to change. But the more I study scripture, passages like what we're looking at in Ephesians 5, like I think that should be the type of response that unbelievers should have around us. Hey, I know you're not okay with this, right? Like I don't want unbelievers to be around me to be involved in this type of impurity and crude joking and think that, well, Adam's fine with this. Adam's okay with this. I mean, we, we don't have to change how we're acting because Adam's here because he's, he's totally okay with this. Like I want them to know that hey, I don't, I don't joke in a crude manner. I don't, I don't talk in this type of language. And if I'm going to be with you, I'm not going to stay if you're going to do this, right? So I think we can ask ourselves that question. When we find ourselves with unbelievers, are they changing the way that they act because we're there? Number two, do you engage with your non-Christian friends for community or in hopes of community? Do you engage with your non-Christian friends for community or in hopes of community? Here's what I mean by that as far as how they're different, right? We can engage with the lost world, with our unchristian friends, in hopes of drawing them to Christ so that we can have community with them. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus was certainly guilty of being friends with sinners. He was accused of it all the time. But as I was dialoguing with some of the people from our church last week, I was quick to point out, Jesus is never accused of doing the sinful things that those sinners do, right? He's accused of loving them. He's accused of being non-judgmental towards them, but he's not accused of doing what they do. Think about how he chooses to, to spend time with those people. He doesn't call Zacchaeus up and say, hey, Zacchaeus, you're a hated, deceitful tax collector. I'd love to get in on that with you, Right? He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, let me know the next time you're going to go collect taxes because I'd love some more change in my pocket too. Let's go do that together. He doesn't engage in their sinful behavior, but he does engage with them. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house and we're going to have lunch today. And Zacchaeus leaves that lunch way different than when he started that lunch. 
There was intentionality in the way that Jesus hung out with lost people. He didn't just kick back and and talk nonchalantly about the things of this world, laugh and joke about the things that they would laugh and joke about, and then walk away and him be impacted and them not. That's not how he spent time with unbelievers. He did not pursue unbelievers for community. He pursued unbelievers to have community with them once they were radically changed by his gospel. And that has to be our perspective too. If we have deep, intimate, meaningful relationships with unbelievers as though we are trying to enjoy community with them that really we should be enjoying with Christians, then we've misunderstood this passage because we are to be non-partners with them. We can only be partners with them when they come to the light where we are. So we engage with them, not for community. We engage with them in hopes of finding community with them down the road once they exit the darkness and come to the light as well. Are you actively intentional or passively compliant in the ways you spend time with unbelievers? I mean, I would encourage you. Some of you are, are great at engaging and building friendships with unbelievers. And that, that is a commendable thing because we need to engage with the lost world. Some of us are prone to withdraw and to only spend time with believers. We don't have much of a witness because we don't have anybody to witness to. Together, we need to engage unbelievers. We can build friendships with unbelievers, but we have to be intentional in how we do it. We can't be passive and say, hey, include me in the things that you're doing. No, we, we actively say, hey, come be a part of what I'm doing over here. I'm going to be the one that drives how we spend time together because my hope is bigger than just hanging out and having fun. My hope is to bring you from darkness to light. Don't be partners with them, but certainly shine your light and love them and draw them to Christ. Our identity truths for us to remember today. Number one, every Christian has been brought into the light to be light, no longer to be partnership with darkness, but to be a witness to it. The intimacy that we enjoy in our relationship with others should be determined by my desire to walk in light, to separate from darkness. Paul says, don't be a partner with them. He's not saying don't ever be with unbelievers, don't spend time with unbelievers, but he is saying don't be a partner with them. Right? We can't marry them. We can't enjoy deep intimacy with them, not in their current state, not as sons of disobedience, not as non-inheritors of the kingdom of Christ. That type of intimacy we should reserve for believers, for our Christian friends. That should be where we find our most meaningful community, where we find our most meaningful fellowship. That's where we find that type of intimacy. But we certainly engage with the lost world as a light in hopes of bringing them from darkness to light as well. Our application for today, do you have any partnerships with darkness that need to be severed or repurposed? Do you have any partnerships with darkness? Maybe it's activities that you're engaged in still, things that we're supposed to be distant from, things that shouldn't be named amongst us, not necessarily people, but just activity, darkness that needs to be severed right? Like it needs to be cut off. Like I should not be engaging in this. This shouldn't be named amongst me. Why? Because I used to be a dark, in darkness. I used to be in the dark realm, but I've passed from death to life. I've passed from darkness to light. Anything in your life that, that would be characterized as darkness that needs to be cut off and severed. Or maybe there are people in your life that you have partnered with in ways that you should not. 
they don't necessarily need to be severed, but they need to be repurposed, right? The type of intimacy and relationship you have with them needs to be repurposed. Stop finding your community there and start reaching out to them in hopes of gaining community later, right? Helping them to see what it means to go from darkness to light as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then Tyson's going to come. We're going to worship. We're going to close this portion of our service, and then we're going to continue in an attitude of worship and celebration as we step outside in the back to celebrate what it looks like to pass from darkness to light as we communicate that publicly through baptism. Let's pray together. Lord, we do love you and we do thank you and praise you that while we were darkness, you were not okay leaving us in that state. God, we recognize that we were sinful and we were incapable of fixing that. And you stepped in and you shone light into our dark hearts. You rescued us. And it's all because of what Jesus did for us. God, I'm thankful that we can be identified with Christ today, that it's his perfection, it's his death that satisfies all of your needs, all of your desires, all of your commands. He has done everything for us. And so, God, we stand here as believers today, recognizing that we are in the light in the Lord. We praise you and thank you for that today. We thank you that through the the ministry of this church and through the ministry of the families in this church, that more and more people are coming to know you. We're thankful that we can celebrate that even together today as a family. But God, I pray that you would continue to help us to, to, to know what it means to not be partners with the darkness around us, to know how to engage it, to know how to shine light into it without being influenced by it. God, help us to maintain the healthy balance. We don't want to, we don't want to isolate ourselves to where we're saved, we're happy, and, and we're content, and we just can't wait for you to come back, and, and nobody else ever knows about it. God, we want to be purposeful in that we interact with others, and we, we point them to the hope that we have. But God, we want to do so in a way where we don't lose our witness, and we're not influenced in such a way where we are prone to go back to the darkness that you saved us from. So God, give us a healthy balance of knowing how to pursue people around us that we love and care for but to do so without trying to find our community and our intimacy with those people. Help us to see that they're still in darkness. We can't partner with that. But God, help us to engage with them in the hopes of of you saving them so that we can. We're thankful that you can save. You can save to the uttermost. And so there's nobody that, that is outside of your ability to save, no matter how dark they are. No matter how caught up in darkness they are today, you can save them. And we thank you that that's what the gospel teaches, that all of us can be saved. All of us can be forgiven. All of us can be rescued. And all of us can now walk and follow you in the light. Pray that you continue to give us the desires and the abilities to do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.